This is John Quint, and this is Law Disrupted. And today we're talking with Yixuan Zhu, who is an associate in our, is it Shanghai or Beijing, or do you cover both offices? Um, I'm in Beijing right now. You're in Beijing. And Yixuan has, a, a, has had a really interesting career. She's a Chinese national. She studied law in China, became a, I assume you became a Chinese qualified lawyer. Um, I passed the, the, the Chinese bar exam, uh, not really qualified because I'm not working in a Chinese law firm right now, uh, but I can if I want to. Yeah, the, I, I understand the rule is that international firms, which is what Quinn is regarded as, and this is not unusual, other countries have similar rules. International firms uh, in China cannot give advice on Chinese law or appear in Chinese courts. So if someone who, such as yourself, who's qualified to be a Chinese lawyer joins an international firm, you basically have to hang up your bar certificate uh, while you're with that international firm, which in your case, in our case, I hope is for the rest of your career. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you're all but you you could be a Chinese qualified lawyer. You passed the bar exam. Uh, and you're also, uh, I believe, a member of the New York bar as well. Yes. So you've studied law in China. You studied law in the U.S. I know you spent some time in our New York office. You practice law in New York. Uh, I know you were involved in a very high profile trial in Delaware where you cross-examined witnesses. I mean, for some of us, this is this is just an amazing feat. A Chinese national. You grew up in China, right? Right. Yes. Uh, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, northeast of China in Heilongjiang province. Um, it's um, we actually share a lake with Russia. Right. Small town, city. So, I mean, now that people have heard you speak English a little bit, I have to ask, how is it that you speak such flawless, unaccented English? Um, I just worked really hard to train myself uh, to just speak the language that I really I was interested in. um, And I was really interested in the uh, Western culture. I watched a lot of TV shows um, Uh and uh, learned a lot of like American politics and business and everything. Um, So I uh, sort of anticipated myself or positioned myself uh, to be able to practice um, in the English language. And that that's the tool that I wanted to use. um, And I worked really hard to, to, to train it. Oh, so you had a goal and you you succeeded in, in reaching your goal. Yes. So uh, did you know, at what point did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer? That's uh, actually very, so I um, studied economics in uh, undergrad. Um, so in China, you actually can do law um, uh, in undergrad. So it was not really a natural choice uh, for me. Uh, I was... I remember in my, uh, uh, I think, sophomore year, I was still like trying to apply for business school uh, in the U.S., thinking like in the future, I might be uh, a consultant or investment banker and all these other different choices. Um, but I've I never felt that I got really interested in um, all those types of jobs or economic issues. Um, and then I started reading books and watched uh, um, a lot of TV, uh, American le- legal shows. Um, uh-huh. And it just really intrigued me. Uh, and I found it like fascinating. Um, American lawyers, I think, have this room of sort of um uh, like a capabilities and um i, I think is that like, the american legal systems just give lawyers 
um, so much to develop and to argue um, and to push uh, the limits. Um, so I, I found all that very fascinating. I, I remember like watching Boston Legal, <laughs> Law and Order and The Good Wife. Um, right. And I was writing down all the opening statements that Ellen uh-huh. Shore did. The TV shows. And I was like, just thinking, um, it would be great if I can be like him in a courtroom one day. However, that was like not a super obvious choice for me at the time. Uh, but then, uh, my, uh, college university, Peking University started a school, um, which, uh, modeled after the American JD program. Um, and also it provided a Chinese, uh, law degree. So I thought it was the perfect choice for me. Um, I can do, uh, Chinese law and American law in four years. Um, and then I'll be able to practice law and uh, like in the two sort of like countries that, that feel uh, most relevant to me. Um, so I just went there and uh, started my uh, career there. So it kind of sounds like uh, American television shows kind of shaped your your career. And books, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So did you get a law degree knowing that you would sort of like to be um you know be able to practice in both countries and familiar with both legal systems was was that kind of your goal? Um I think my goal was more towards the US side. I I really wanted to be a sort of US style litigator. Uh when I was in school um I didn't know I could do it. I didn't really see a clear path. Uh but I I I knew from very early on that I didn't want to be a transaction lawyer uh, because I, if I want to do transaction, I could con- continue to my sort of path in economics. Um, so I figured I, I really want to do litigation, the hardcore litigation. Um, I want to be the most traditional um, lawyer's role. Um, so were, you, I, I were d- you one of those kids growing up that was always arguing with your parents? I, I have one like that. And she turned out to be a litigator. <laughs> Actually, no. Um, in my life, I all I almost never really argue with people. Um, no. I also I was being facetious, <laughs> but I I interrupted you. You were telling this fascinating story about uh, what you wanted to do and how you accomplished your goals. Yeah. So along the way, while I was in school, I just took as many sort of hardcore, very U.S. Um, as litigation style courses um, as much as I can uh, do. And then um, I told everyone I, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and after graduating, um, I looked at a job market in China at the time. Um, and uh, there was this opening at, uh, at a, another <laughs> a big law firm in Shanghai that has this litigation investigation practice. Um, it's actually Sam Williamson who you can, we we can say the name that was that was Kirkland yes. and Ellis I think yes. <laughs> and and was that was that your first legal job at K and E yes yes um, I think at that time um, I gradually learned that um, the team there was primarily working on um, investigations um, at the time I think FCPA uh, around 2013 just started in China following the big sort of GSK case um, like the, the, all the industry uh, knew about um, so I knew it wasn't purely um, U.S. litigation, uh, but that was investigation was also pretty fun. Um, and I thought that was the closest I could get, uh, given everything, um, at the time. Uh, so I joined and just practiced, um, and, and enjoyed it. Did you consider the possibility of joining a Chinese firm? 
not really. Um, I think um, from w- how I see myself in the sort of legal profession, I do um, uh, know that like I have a strong sort of ability in language. Um, that's actually rare in uh, among sort of the Chinese uh, like law students. I'm not. A lot of people have a pretty strong English, um, but I do think there are more. Um, very capable Chinese lawyers as well. Um, and I, I feel like I myself, also my interest and my ability, I felt that a, a international firm would be the best fit. So you joined Kirkland and Ellis and you're doing investigations work. Mm, yes. Um, at that time, uh, investigation was really fun. I learned a lot um, doing all the, we actually did some like um, uh, field investigation as well. Um, so it, that was interesting. Um, actually, I was pretty happy at Kirkland, uh, but there was like this one thought at the, bank of, uh, at the back of my um, mind. I think while I was at Kirkland, uh, some somebody mentioned a term like Kirkland lifer. Um, and I thought to myself, I could see myself to be a Kirkland lifer. It's a pretty good <laughs> firm. I'm surrounded by all these people. But there's only one firm in the world that I feel like if that firm has an office in China, I would be like joined like without hesitation and like become a, like a member of that firm. And that was Quinn Emanuel because I was reading uh, like industry news. I, I knew that uh Manual was like a like a disputes only firm, and I was like, I I wish I could be part of that <laughs> practice. <laughs> really? How did you hear about our firm? I can't really remember how the first time I uh, learned about our firm. I think I learned about um, our financial. Um, crisis-related litigations. Um, I also heard about the uh, Samsung and Apple uh, sort of IP trial like the, of the century. Um, I think I was aware of that. Um, and I wasn't really... I, I forgot how first I, I came to learn about Quinn, but I think that was while I was at Kirkland, um, not while I was at school. All right. So you're at Kirkland and Ellis doing investigations work and you're dreaming of this other firm, Quinn Emanuel. And what happens? And in 2015, <laughs> Quinn opened an office in Shanghai, and it also picked a Sam, like my boss at Kirkland, to lead to the practice. I was like, when I heard the news, I was like, the universe was responding to me. <laughs> <laughs> my secret wish. Yeah, right. it was just everything, sort of all the dots are connected. So I was, um, no hesitation, I joined Quinn, um, starting off our little Shanghai business center, um, and I felt great. Great. Uh, now, now I know that you you took some time off to go study at Harvard at, at some point after that. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so after spending a year at Quinn Emanuel, uh, because um, although I studied uh, American law in Peking University School of Transnational Law in China, uh, because it was not an ABA accredited school, I still need another degree in order to sit for the bar. Um, so I applied uh, uh, and got accepted by Harvard um, on the firm's friend, uh, sponsorship, which I feel grateful for. Um, and then I uh, spent a year at Harvard, uh, which uh, was another great year of further expanding sort of my training and uh, discourse uh, with like U.S. Um, based like professors and students, which was great. Had you been to the U.S. before at that point? Um, I spent a semester um, doing an exchange program at Indiana University, and I took my. Uh, it was very. Um, it was actually. 
I, I actually think like that experience was even more enlightening um, uh, than Harvard just because where I was uh, in my sort of life, um, I think Indiana was the first sort of long time that I spent in the, I did like the Jessup Mood Court. So I, I uh, traveled to the U.S. before, but that was the first time I really lived in the U.S. for a while. Um, and then I took um, the First Amendment, um, criminal procedure, constitutional law, um, and like sitting in a all white, all U.S. students sort of uh, like classroom. Um, so that was quite some um, experience. And after that, I also spent uh, two months in L.A. actually. Um, uh, I did an internship with the ACLU um, of Southern California. Um, that was quite an enlightening experience as well. How would you compare law school uh, at Beijing University and at Harvard? How, how's it different? Um, so I think it's mainly the classrooms. Um, the professors are sort of similar. Um, Peking University flew over all these like American law professors from U.S. top law schools to China. Um, but in China, the the, the student body, um, so it was primarily Chinese students. Um, and we shared the same sort of confusion about federalism and like different political systems and how the um, different jurisdictions uh, like among federal courts and state courts so we all studied that, that together. We we shared that a journey. Um, that was um, looking back, it was pretty helpful. So by the time when I got to the U.S., I already had a pretty good uh, understanding or like ground knowledge um, as uh, all the other sort of U.S. students. So I didn't like feel daunted or feel like I was incompetent or something. So I think that really prepared me well, um, and it, it was uh, different. I would say. How's it different? How's the classroom different? How how are the students different? How how is the relationship with students and professors different? If it is, um, I think in all the um, American law professor and Chinese uh, students, um, there was a shared sort of understanding that all the students came from a different system. Um, so everything uh, that the professor understood that a lot of the concepts. Um, uh, that are taken granted for in the U.S. Um, uh, uh, that requires some education in uh, in China, um, and also there there ha there has had been some cultural clashes. I think in a good way um, because Chinese students growing up in uh, like educated in China from like. Uh, like uh, kindergarten to uh, undergrad, they have some concepts ingrained in their minds that are totally different than the U uh, U.S. students. Um, so the questions that we asked, or the um, the the way of thinking, can be really different. Um, and of course, language is also a big part. Um, so the American professors had to learn um, how to really understand every single uh, student in the classroom with varying uh, English skills um, so that to, to, so that we can all sort of get on the uh, same page on on the uh, legal sort of concepts. Um, and, and when I was in the U.S., uh, I, I, I remember the first thing that I discovered was everyone typed English so fast. <laughs> mm. I did not have that experience when I was in China. Um, I sometimes took notes and notebooks and by writing or even with my computer. So everything, everyone was the same with me. And I, when I spent my first sort of exchange my, uh, semester in the U.S., 
I think the how American law students make outlines and how they um, utilize all kinds of resources online, uh, that's also different because when we were in China, we didn't have those. I created my outline from like scratch for all my courses. In, the, in, in law school in China, in the classroom, do they use the Socratic method? Or is it different? No, not really. Uh, I think nowadays law schools are trying to, uh, some professors are trying to learn from the uh, that method, but it's not not really. Most of the time it's just lectures. You you got an LLM from Harvard? Yes. And and then what did you do? And then I joined the, the firm's New York office, and which in my mind would be like New York is the sort of center of the world for litigation. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and tell um, us about tell us about that experience. Uh, that was... I mean, I, I assume there you weren't doing only investigations work. You were... No. Um, signed I actually, to all kinds of business litigation. Yes. I, I also sort of like because like our firm has a freight market system. Um, so I kind of we can. should explain what that means. Free market system. Yeah. So when I first joined, I was told that the firm doesn't really have like a fixed sort of teams or uh, practice groups. Um, uh, when you first join, um, you can get assigned to a like a partner who can give you the first two initial cases for example um and then um you're just on your own right <laughs> you're, you're, you're eligible to be drafted by anybody yes exactly and you can do ip you can do business litigation you can do basically anything um i was a little worried about the system in the beginning because i never worked in a big office before when i was in shanghai we were like one team um but um so i was a little worried uh but it turns out now looking back it is a great system for me uh when i was in new york um i started with a um financial litigation um i actually tried uh to to uh, not to do as much investigation um, because I knew that when I move back to China that will be a part of my practice. When I when I'm in New York, I want to spend all my time learning the things that I can't really learn in China. Um, so I just uh, get myself staff staffed on um, all kinds of like U.S. Just pure business litigation matters. I also didn't limit myself to a particular um, area. Um, I just, whatever case uh, that comes to me or I happen to have time to, to join, um, I just go at it. Well, give us some idea of uh, some of the noteworthy cases that you worked on. What were the, some of the most memorable experiences you had? There are so many at this firm. <laughs> um, if I may, I, I actually want to start with the first case that I joined the firm's Shanghai office. Um, I can't really describe the names uh, or the, the nature of, of the case, but it, it is a uh, behind the door negotiation with government entities on certain things. <laughs> uh, sure. But I I recall at that time, Sam was telling me, Ishuan, remember, this is your second, this is the second year of your career. Um, and, but this might be like the most interesting matter you, you're going to work on for the next maybe decade or whatever. Um, I forgot his exact word, but that's the impression I got. Um, uh, and that was like a really, um, exciting matter for me. Um, like reading news about the people that involved. Um, so it was a great experience. Um, uh, but after that, um, now at 
been with the firm for seven years. Um, I've had like quite a few that experiences, and uh, that that's uh, really um, uh, fortunate, uh, at least for me. So uh, when I was in New York, um, I first my first trial was pretty memorable for me. Um, it was a small uh, like four member team. Uh, we have two partners. Um, I think Andy Rossman and Taylor Wimmer, um, and also Will Sears, who's now also a partner at the firm. Um, it was a um, UCC auction sale trial. Uh, basically, we represent uh, KKR, um, and um, we bought a um, the real estate some real estate properties a uh, from an auction sale uh, from Macquarie. And Macquarie, uh, um, I think uh, the owner of the real estate properties defaulted um, on their loan to Macquarie, and there uh, therefore uh, Macquarie initiated a foreclosure sale. And we bought it and the owner sued both of us. Um, uh, we, as a small team, I think th that's what I really liked about small team. I, I think there are uh, great things about big teams as well. But during that process, um, I experienced um, everything uh, from start complaint and uh, getting sued and uh, answering the complaint to discovery, depositions, and then uh, to trial. And because it was a small team, I was given uh, great responsibilities and I can I got the chance to observe closely um, how the partners and how the senior associate approach things. Um, that was a really um, great experience for me. Um, and the second matter is the Miri trial. <laughs> The Murray trial is really um, phenomenal, at least um, I, I think from a lot of um, aspects. Uh, so it started in, I think, in March 2020, um, and it was the first busted deal that uh, went to trial in the uh, Delaware Court of Chancery. Yeah, in um, the COVID era, and we represented uh, a Korean uh, private equity firm called Murray. Uh, that decided uh, for uh, what it believed to be good reasons, and the court ultimately found there were good reasons, uh, did not want to close on a contract to purchase a portfolio of, I think, $5 billion worth of luxury hotels from the Chinese company Ambang. Yes. And uh, this case went to trial on a very accelerated schedule in Delaware. So tell us what that experience was like. So it was four months <laughs> from complaint to trial. Um, it was daily morning team calls at 10 a.m. Everyone worked out of their apartment or homes. Um, and we were working with maybe five or six offices. Um, our client and our opposing side clients are all based, based in Asia. Um, and our discovery vendor also was based in Asia. Uh, our Hong Kong office, Shanghai office were all involved and we have teams from California. Um, it was a, um, it was a like, uh, uh, to me, it was historical <laughs> or unprecedented sort of team efforts, seeing everything happen so quickly. Um, because usually when you have a case from complaint to trial that could take, uh, say, two to three years, um, 
once in a while you focus back on this case and you go to some other cases during that four months um that case was the life for all of us uh and we bonded greatly together and like having fights with the other side every day um it was just uh still like quite some memory in my life and um i actually grew some white hair <laughs> after that case <laughs> well yeah. uh i mean i understand there were dozens of depositions taken in a short period of time and and most of, if not all the percipient witnesses were in Asia. So depositions were being taken in the middle of the night in the U.S. Yes, um, there were. I, I myself, I think, took a, four depositions and all it all. Uh, I think they all started at nine or, or something p.m. Uh, in New York um, and it would last the whole night. Every every time before a deposition like this. All the team, whoever's taking will say, I'm going to finish this in like four hours. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> but with translation, with all the confusion, it never really happened. Um, so, and, and then you had to make, and you had to make the 10 a.m. team call. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I needed to write a summary of the deposition and then uh, make the 10 a.m. call. I just felt like we breathed in and out of that case for that, uh, for those four months. And the, how did the trial go? What was your participation in the trial? Uh, so I fortunately got a witness uh, to cross, and uh, I think I was. Um, uh, I think because the the, the deal size, um, the claim amount, the, the claim at issue was like six billion dollars, um, and there was also five hundred million um, uh, deposit in dispute. Um, so it was a big case. It's not the, the the type of case I would think. I think I was a third year associate then. I would I would anticipate that oh I'm gonna get a witness at the trial so that i didn't expect that uh but um just things just happened and uh, there were many witnesses and um that they happened to have a chinese law um, expert witness that i deposed um and i knew the issues the best um and i'm not sure if i understood his accent to the best too <laughs> But um, I got you were the best person qualified to cross-examine that witness. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I do think so, um, and I think um, I. Also, um, when we started the trial, um, so so that was my first cross. Um, I was really nervous about it. I, I was given uh, fifteen to twenty minutes um, because everything was packed, and um, uh, and he he was a, like an expert witness. Um, so that. I think the partners uh, on the team, I remember Zhang Ri and Chris Kircher, uh, they both sort of mentored me, telling me how to structure my cross and how trials is like a theater, how sometimes if you know that you can't really get the favorable admission from the uh, witness, you can at least neutralize them and also with some theatrics and and make it fun. Um, and I tried and uh, I, I think that worked. Um, <laughs> and it, it really, and, and because the trial was online over Zoom. Um, I actually, I, I actually got the to ask a colleague, so "Can you take a little video from of me crossing right. from your office so that I can show it to my parents?" Uh, um, you got a souvenir. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So we know there was a happy ending in that case. It was uh, an extremely rare case in Delaware where a buyer was actually able to get out of a deal. How, how much time did you spend in the, in our New York office? 
How many uh, years? Three, um, so three years. Um, although I, I came back to China in 2020, I was still affiliated with the New York office and still worked with the New York office for a while. Um, but um, physically, approximately three years. And where are you based now? Uh, I'm now based in Beijing. And and uh, you helped us open our Shanghai office, and I think you yes. you also helped us open our Beijing office. Yes, and uh, I I don't really consider myself to be like a startup person, uh, but with you are the, now, you are now. Yes, <laughs> um, and with, with the Quinemanual platform, and does it, it can't be that hard? So it, it was great. <laughs> and what? Uh, what have been some of the highlights of your practice in China? I, I mean, I've heard that you've had some real success uh, developing work for the firm. Yes. Um, so uh, after I moved back to China, I, um, I, I, because I knew that I, when I was in New York, that I am going to move back to China one day. Um, so I'm going to get the best out of it, um, get the real hardcore uh, litigation experience so that I can go back to China and tell everyone that I've done it. Um, and I think all the Chinese, um, like legal professionals, they know how hard it is uh, for a, a, a Chinese sort of national uh, with English as a second language to practice litigation. Yeah. I mean, how many Chinese lawyers are there uh, watching? in the streets of Beijing who can say, yes, I've cross-examined a witness in uh, Chancery Court in Delaware. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think you people, may be the only one. I hope so. <laughs> I, I actually am not aware of another uh, person who has done that. Um, so but maybe there are people out there. I'm, I'm just not aware of it. Um, but um, I think people recognize that and that has been uh, an effective sell. Um, and also because of my uh, passion in litigation, um, I guess so far you call you all can hear like when I talk about it, I, I like I really enjoy it. Um, I love the uh, the firm and uh, I love the sort of the clear brand, most feared law firm in the world. Um, I also do take pride in the work that we do, um, and therefore I just uh, wherever I go, when I talk to people, I identify myself as a lawyer from Quinn Emanuel, um, and I sort of combine my sort of like personal brand with the firm um and uh i just naturally solid <laughs> and it has been effective <laughs> you're, you're you're somebody clearly who's good at accomplishing her goals what are your goals now my goal is to further grow the firm's uh china practice i think chinese clients really need this service uh, but they do not know where to find it. Um, sometimes they uh, find their, uh, they have lawyers uh, to help them, um, but I don't think they, I think they could get better service from us. Um, and I think there is a, still a big market. Um, I think, especially this year, um, the more I think about it, I do think the China market um, is underserved. Um, so I think my next lower sort of decade um, goal um, is to expand sort of the firm. Um, also serving, because I'm a Chinese national, serving Chinese clients in their overseas disputes is kind of a thing for me um, that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I do want to combine the two um, so to, to, to see it, like to make an impact here. You think there's some unfinished business for our firm in China? Yes. We, I, don't, um, we, don't, we don't yet completely dominate the market. 
no, um, no. <laughs> but 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 uh, I think we're getting there. <laughs> um, um, what have been some of the things uh, that you've enjoyed uh, at the firm other than the law practice? Uh, the firm hike. <laughs> uh, I really. I remember we first met after you, yeah. you you had just joined the firm, and we met yeah. on a trail in the Dolomites in Italy, which was the firm hike that year. Yes. Um, and that hike sort of changed my uh, life sort of outside of uh, the job as well. Um, because I before um, I joined the firm, I was not really outdoorsy. I, I as, as someone like me, like you have to study in English, you have to go to bed school, like most of my times are, are spent indoors and to, to focus on the books. Um, so it's not really I didn't really exercise a lot. Um, and then I joined this firm, it, it seemed really cool that all, all these these litigators go to one place and to hike the most beautiful places. So I thought I should join. Um, I joined, <laughs> but that that hike to a lot of people that hike might not be difficult, <laughs> but for me it was really challenging just because I was not in a super good shape. Um, but that experience really transformed me. After that hike, um, I started regular training, um, and then I think the second hike I was on. I think it was um, uh, Iceland. Um, it was that a was three hard. That was hard. Yeah, that was a hard one. Um, with like a 40 liter uh, pack uh, on my back. Uh, but actually, that didn't feel as hard uh, to me only because like I trained uh, much, much more. Right. So and, and and then after outside of the firm hike, I hiked to the Kilimanjaro and then started doing more adventure uh, things, um, certainly enjoying skydiving. <laughs> so it's really sort of transforming for wow. me. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, with you know, you really have a foot in uh, the east and the west. Uh, kind of a unique perspective from a from a legal standpoint, having practiced in both systems and had the experience that you've described to us. I mean, what is your perspective on the present? You know, people talk about the you know deglobalization and the the world dividing into two spheres of influence, and it's an you know this is a class of civil clash of civilizations and the u.s can't tolerate the rise of china it seems to be a uh, at least it's reported here a widespread uh feeling in china uh what's your perspective i mean you you kind of have insight into both cultures well i grew up in an era where globalization is the thing so um, I never actually knew that de we could one day deglobalize. <laughs> so it was a uh, shocking to me at first, um, and then like after the past few years, I start realizing that really uh, with the um, I think uh, in the Chinese old saying like sometimes uh, like after um, times of uh, uh, of unitization or um, like you unity or maybe. Yeah, unity, and then so uh, so after uh, some time of unity, uh, things will start to to, to be to like become separate again. So there there are these cycles in history um, uh, uh, about this. Um, I'm not sure where we're going um, 
but I am a firm believer in globalization, um, and I am a firm like a believer in um, commun- cross cultural communication. Uh, through all my time between China and the U.S., and now I um, also work with Hong Kong, uh, uh, our Hong Kong office in English law tradition cases. I do see um, how communication can smooth misunderstandings out, um, and people. Well, actually, I think we did a case for a Chinese client. And after that case, the partner is a U.S., um, I think it's uh, Bruce. Um, he actually said after like done two cases with uh, for Chinese clients, actually, uh, the Chinese and, and the Americans, they don't think that differently, although we come like entirely different sort of background. Um, so I. I, I am. Um, I, I I hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think in this time of clash, um, uh, we do need people who understand both cultural cultures more uh, to to bridge uh, sort of the communication. It's really interesting, actually, for me because when I was in the U.S., I I read U.S. news all day, um, and when I'm back in China, I like read like social media like posts just automatically like, push to me. I I now still read U.S. news, and it's amazing how um, each country, um, the, the 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 price in each country is so biased against right. each other. So if yeah. you if if you could speak with Joe Biden, <laughs> if you could speak to him and if he could ask you, Yishuan, tell me one thing that I sh- that you think I don't know about China that I really need to know to be a do my job as a political leader. What is one thing you think he doesn't fully appreciate that he should know about China? Um Two things, if I can. <laughs> okay, yes. like a spoken like a true litigator. Give you an inch, you take a mile. <laughs> um, so first, um, I think there is a fundamental distrust between the two countries, um, and I know there are many political theories behind it or international relations uh, theories behind it, but from history. China has not been has not been an acquisitive country. Um, what even during its best times, it didn't really go out and invade. <laughs> so I think whenever I heard um, the threat of China rising, um, I just hope people don't take that as such a threat to other nations. You think he he should relax a little bit. Relax a little bit in its attitude towards China. Yes, that's one thing. Oh, I think China just wants to be strong in order to protect itself, given the history um, okay. of the past hundred years. Um, and second, <laughs> sorry, um, second, there are fundamental value differences. Uh, what people in the West think that are important to them. Um, I think it's important to realize that there are people in other parts of the world who do not value the same thing as much. Um, they may value some other, in their value system, some other things may be more important. Yeah, um, like in the U.S., maybe uh, individualism, what we identify, what we characterize as individual rights and freedoms. Maybe right. the rest, other parts of the world, people don't value that so much. I'm just guessing what you're referring to. Yes, 
I think um, all the debate around like the democracy um, and all these uh, constitutional law sort of protections, like for example, um, equal protection, um, that actually would be easier to push in China than in the U.S. All right. So let me ask if if you if uh, President Xi Jinping calls you up uh, and says, "Hey." Yishuan, I understand you spent a lot in the uh, time in the U.S. and you're a lawyer after all. Uh, you know, you understand the U.S. culture. Tell me something that you don't think I fully appreciate, or by that I mean understand about the U.S. What would you tell him? I think um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, I think he knows or realizes those things. No, he's and he's he's lived there. He spent time in Iowa, right? Not yes, far from Indiana. I think for him, it's or for us, it's really um, sort of choice um, based on some considerations. Although I would hope, I would advocate for. I think we have a lot of room to still um, to relax too. Um, in in order to, I think I am a firm believer in economic development and innovation and technology advancement. Um, so in order for us to, to really achieve prosperity, um, I think we should have more laws and legal rules that help promote those. Okay. And uh, there are, there's a lot we can learn from the U.S. All right. Well, thank you. Ishwan, this has been super interesting. Thank you very much for joining us. We've been talking with Ishwan Ju, who's an associate in now in the Beijing office of Quinn Emanuel. This is John Quinn, and this has been Law Disrupted. Mm-hmm.